What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. Follow on Twitter at TweetJHood. What's up and welcome in. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Hope all is well with you and your family as we are alone together during this pandemic. Um, you know, I continue to see the news and continue to read online what is going on. And hopefully we are on the other side of this curve at some point. Just remember, we are alone together in this. So we're going to do what we always do. Keep you company with sports and entertainment conversation right here on ESPN 1000. You know, a lot of us sequestered, quarantined at home, been looking for things to watch on television, watch on our tablet, just looking for entertainment options because when we're working the usual nine to five or when we're working late nights or early mornings, you get home, you just want to be able to relax. You just want to be able to settle in and be able to just throw your cares away just for a fleeting moment for an hour or two with a movie or TV show, right? Well, it's very rare in our society today that we can find a television show that I think a lot of people will be locked in on, that everyone will watch at the same time. It's very rare that you get appointment television these days in which you're saying, you know what, not just me, not just my friends, not just my people on Facebook and Twitter and other places, but man, a lot of people are going to be locked into this one TV show. And I know that more than just Chicagoans, I know that there will be sports fans and even sports novices will be tuned in to that Last Dance documentary that's going to take place starting on Sunday, uh, brought to you by Coors Light. It is going to be great to be able to see some film uh, of the Chicago Bulls and some, you know, some real interesting conversations about the Bulls that we have not heard before. I, I'm looking forward to it because it's something different. And I will tell you, the power of social media is very interesting in one sense, in that many pushed for this documentary not to come out in June between the NBA Finals that we are not going to have now in June. They wanted it sooner so they could be able to lock in and watch it. And so many people, again, sports fanatics like you and I, those that are kind of in between, those that are not even sports fans, are interested in the Michael Jordan story. I find myself and all of us here at ESPN 1000, you know, hand-wringing about Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles and what the Cubs are going to be like uh, post-Theo Epstein, whenever that's going to be. Uh, like, What does this team look like in the first year of David Ross or the up-and-coming White Sox? And talking about the Bulls in their front office. Talking about the, the Chicago Blackhawks trying to have a re, uh, kind of a renaissance, a resurgence uh, as an organization after their three Stanley Cups that they won in the Quinville administration. We find ourselves on all these different things. But you know, all of the stories that I have covered over the last 15 to 20 years, uh, pale in comparison to what we are going to see starting with this documentary on Sunday. Because the person in that documentary is Michael Jordan, who supersedes even basketball. Because of the amount of merchandise that he sold on his name, and on his likeness, 
it's going to be something completely different. So to me, out of all the athletes that I've covered and been around, Jordan is the top. And that is no shade at Walter Payton from a certain era from the 1985 Chicago Bears and during that era of uh, Bears football. There's no shade at people that watch Gale Sayers and Dick Butkus all the way in the past. No shade at Savard and Secord of the Chicago Blackhawks. No shade at some of the all-time greats that we have seen come through the city. But Jordan, to me, supersedes all of it. To the point where I wish that Michael Jordan was a bigger part of the culture of the Chicago Bulls. Because when people come here to the city... They love the architecture. They love the idea they can go to uh, restaurants to be able to deal with uh, movies and theater and all the things that this city brings. It has a lot to offer. But also part of the city still woven in the fabric of this city is still Michael Jordan, even though he's the owner of the Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> so far away, so far removed. The weekend that we had for All-Star Weekend for the NBA... All of it should have been about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Not the documentary, but just the success. And there was a plenty of conversations about those years, don't get me wrong. But I, I always think that when there's something going on with the Bulls, that, that, should be even, um, that he should be a bigger part of what's going on. Even though he's got his own franchise he owns, and he doesn't have a, a, a franchise uh, share, financially in the Chicago Bulls. He's got his own team. He's the majority owner of it. And I totally get it. But that's why I'm so looking forward to this because it will illustrate to a certain generation, millennials, even younger, of the struggle that it took to be able to get six titles in eight years. It will illustrate the frustration that you have. I know I will speak for me as someone that has been in broadcasting for a long time. The, the most pleasure that I have in doing this is being able to talk to you when the red light goes on and when Tyler says go, that's the most pleasure that I have. All of the hand wringing of like the consternation of how we're going to put these segments together and who's going to come on the show and who can be able to provide something different than the other shows. That's kind of just part of my career. That's what I've been doing for a long time. Uh, for better or for worse, I don't ever want my show to sound like anyone else's. And so because of that, it's all that work that you put into it. And same thing with Jordan. I'm sure that once he stepped on the floor, he didn't care about the drama that we will see in this docuseries about the front office and ownership and all the outside distractions. He was just concerned about trying to do what he does best. And that is to be able to provide entertainment by being the very best that we've ever seen. As we talk about the Bulls with Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Um, when you think about the NBA, how it's been built with dynasties, there are some here today that don't understand that the NBA is not about you win a championship and you win a championship and you win a championship this year. So that way, everybody has a participation trophy when it comes to the league. The league has been built on dynasties, teams with a run. The Lakers have had two, and maybe you can ask, maybe add three because of their time with the Minneapolis Lakers between 1948 and 1954 with George Mikan. They are really 
the team that you look at with the championships from that time with Minneapolis, going to Los Angeles and being led by Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and James Worthy and Pat Riley between 1979 and 1991. They continue to win division championships, 10 division championships. Um, they won five NBA championships in 80, 82, 85, 87, 88 in nine years. The Boston Celtics also... You take a look at what they did in the 50s and the 60s, and then getting to the 80s, uh, between 1887 with Bird, McHale, Parrish, Casey Jones as their head coach. They were a tremendous team. You take a look at the dynasty of the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, it, it was It's expansive because we're talking about uh, a team that won five NBA championships, uh, 16 seasons where they were over 500 and very successful between 99 and two, 2014. So you get to the Lakers with Shaq and Kobe and Paul Gasol, Phil Jackson being part of that. Golden State as of late with Steph Curry. Kevin Durant was part of that team, as you well know. Klay Thompson, Draymond Green. So it's really built on dynasties, the entire league. But how special out of all those teams I mentioned, the Lakers and Celtics, in which the league is really built on those two teams. And you compare that to the San Antonio Spurs and the Golden State Warriors as of late. But how special are the six titles in eight years. How special is it that Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman for a while and Phil Jackson and Horace Grant and the list goes on and on of difference-making players. How special is it that Michael Jordan led led this team to six titles in eight years? I've told the story in shows past about how Jordan had to be able to trust. There was no championships coming. Uh, Jordan could have just been Russell Westbrook and just been with a team for a while and that won a championship. Uh, He could have easily been that guy like a Charles Barkley. Could have been like Reggie Miller and some of these other all-time great, I mean, underlying great players that could have played in this league and not have the opportunity to win an NBA championship. But trust had to happen first. I want to tell you that as a Bulls fan, I am so happy that I grew up in the non-social media era. You know, social media is one of these things that sways bad opinions and good opinions, and it overwhelms people, it overwhelms organizations, and it overwhelms sports talk platforms. Could you imagine if you lived it like I did during the time that people were looking at Michael Jordan before the championships and thinking that he shot too much, that he was never going to be a guy that could win a championship. Could you imagine a, you know, a Stephen A. Max Kellerman show or a Skip Bayless, Skip, Skip Bayless, and that conversation that he would have with Shannon and all these daytime talk shows that go back and forth, bickering back and forth on what could happen hyperbole, all these things, all these hot takes, right? Imagine if that was in the Michael Jordan era. I want you to just think about that for a second. Think about your favorite hot take talk show on television. And in that Jordan era where Jordan was struggling to just try to get past Cleveland, just trying to get past Detroit, how difficult that was because it was not easy. The story is not written that Jordan was just able to come in the league and just like that win a championship. He didn't have it like Kobe. He didn't have it like some of these other guys that spent a couple of years in the league and all of a sudden won the championship. It took a while. Trust was a big part of that. But during that time, could you imagine two guys at a table and they're sitting back and forth and talking about Jordan will never win the championship because he just didn't have it. 
It's because he shoots the ball too much. He's a guy that is a gun, just won't trust. Guy is just never going to be any good. Oh, Jordan, he I saw him out gambling late night. Oh, he was out there the day before a game and playing golf. Man, what kind of leader is he? All these things would happen now in 2020 because here's here's where we are, right? We're picking people's lives apart and um, glorifying it or sullying some of the all-time greats just based on what people talk about on the talk show, on television, and some on radio as well. I'm glad I grew up in an era in which you just open the paper and, sit and you read about, hey, this player could have played better, here's his quotes, or here's how great this player is, and you're able to learn more about the player. That's not how we, that's not how we operate today. No, no, no. We don't operate like that today. Today, we talk about guys that we want to be able to push up there to the moon before they deserve it and tear them down as they ascend. It's interesting how that all works in today's media. But I want to talk to you about Jordan because I'm excited about this documentary, this docu-series that we're going to see. Ten parts, so you know it's juicy, right? You know there's a lot of stuff that's going to be involved in this. So I want to ask this question, and Tyler, let's over the phone lines at 312-332-ESPN. 332-3776 is our telephone number. I want to talk to you about this because, again, it's going to happen on Sunday, and, and I want to get some early thoughts from you about this. What is your favorite game or moment from the Bulls championship era? What is your favorite game or moment from the Bulls championship era? And there's plenty to choose from. I put this on Facebook about five or six hours ago, and it's still just rolling. It's going to roll into the into the uh, midnight hour, I'm sure, because there's so many different moments. That's why it's an open question. It's just your favorite moment. Uh, I will not allow the everything was great because everything was not great in the championship era. Everything was not great. There was some some down moments here and there, not many, but everything was not great. But what came out of, out of it was teams that trusted one another teams that understood what it took to be able to win a championship, how to be able to just take a team by the throat and just completely just um, just make sure a team was down and down for good. The, the You'll see, I'm sure, in this docuseries how the Bulls, a lot of the stars were sitting on the bench and they were just laughing because they already had a 20-point lead by the time you got to the fourth quarter, and so there was no need for the stars to come back. When you choke a team down to submission where they're tapping out and saying, I can't, I, I just can't beat this team. They're just too good, just too talented. That says a lot. And there's more than Jordan in that too. So I'm wondering, and we'll go through the list as well on this Facebook wall, but I want to get your calls as well. If you're a Bulls fan or just remember the Jordan era, because we're going to get ready to go through some really interesting times during this uh, this era with this docuseries. What is your favorite game or moment from the Bulls Jordan Championship era? 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is our phone number. I have a few, and I'll read a few coming up next on the uh, Jordan era right here on UTH. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Chicago's home for sports. Stream ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Talking about the Chicago Bulls, that docu-series is coming up starting on Sunday, brought to you by Coors Light. 
right here on ESPN 1000. Um, looking forward to it. And, and we're talking about uh, this because we uh, we really get caught up into what's going on in the modern day in 2020 with Chicago sports. And it pales in comparison to that time of Michael Jordan. And I know that for a certain age, there's not an appreciation there because it's, it's not about just the highlight reel of Jordan and all of his great shots. What it's about is, is just the journey to be able to get there, the storylines to be able to get there, to take a look at a moribund franchise when Jordan first came to the Bulls and then moving forward and trying to trust and then try, and then Jerry Krause, of course, being the general manager, trying to find the right pieces to go with Jordan and then Jordan having to trust those pieces in order for a championship to happen. Jordan was a really good college player, but you didn't know whether or not he'd be a championship-level NBA player until he was able to turn it into a whole different gear and he's able to elevate his teammates at the same time. So we're talking to you about this. And again, I see the Facebook wall, facebook.com, and I want to get your calls in here as well. 312-332-ESPN is our phone number. What is your favorite uh, Jordan-era moment from the Chicago Bulls. What, what do you remember most? I'll give you mine, then I'll get your phone calls in here. So this is not even when the Bulls won the championship. This is when the Bulls were able to finally get past the Cleveland Cavaliers. And this is a time where in 89, where the Cavs were stacked as well, Brad Doherty, Craig Elo, I mean, they had some really solid players. Mark Price was on that team, led by Lenny Wilkins. And it was hard for the Bulls to be able to get past Cleveland because of how tough they were when the Bulls were able to finally get past Cleveland in the 88-89 season and then take on a Knicks team that was rough. The Bulls did not have the physicality uh, of the Knicks during those the, that heyday of the 80s into the 90s. And yes, kids, the Knicks actually were relevant once upon a time. But the, the Knicks and the Bulls, because the Knicks had so many just bruisers, big guys that would just... You know, push Pippen, push Jordan would really do some damage. The Bulls were able to get through that as well. They end up losing to the Pistons that year in the 89 playoffs. But the point is, is that it's the journey. It was the last time that they would lose to the Pistons in a series. And then the, you take a look at the following year. Now the Bulls are ready to go. Now you take a look at the Bulls in 89-90. And they are in a position where... Hey, we, we play the Bucks. we play the 76ers, you take the Pistons, and you lose four games to three in the 89-90 season. And then 90-91, you move forward there, and you take a look at that team, and that's when the championship happened against the Lakers. So I just think that the journey in 88-89 and then 89-90, as the Bulls kept chipping away at the Pistons, lost four games to two, then they were able to finally get through to the Pistons, it, it was difficult. Those, first, those last couple of years before the championship against Detroit, that was hard for the Bulls. And finally, they were able to break through. So I just think those times, the learning and the frustration that Jordan had, and finally being able to win a championship, it was all worth it. 312-332-ESPN is our phone number. Let's go to the phone lines to talk to you. We say hello to Jose in Deerfield, a huge Bulls fan on ESPN 1000. Hey, Jose. Hey, Jay. How's it going, man? It's always good to hear that I talk to you. Absolutely. How's everything with you? Good, good, man. Um, just wanted to say, uh, when you were talking about uh, favorite uh, Jordan moments and kind of stole my thunder there a few minutes ago, um, but I remember a game in February 91 when the Bulls were in Detroit, and I think the Bulls had lost maybe about 10 games, regular season playoffs in that building, and when they beat them uh, on that year in route to the first title, 
it gave Michael, not, not only Michael, but that entire team a level of confidence that if they were going to play in Detroit in the playoffs, which they ended up doing that year, that uh, they could win a game or multiple games in that building as we saw that they swept them. And um, I also have to say, I remember a couple of weeks later that year when the Bulls were playing Charlotte in the uh, stadium and Scotty having it was the first time he ever scored over 40. I think he ended up having 43. I think that's also where that one-man show started to kind of um, kind of lose its uh, uh, identity of what the Bulls were being dubbed as at the time. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. And I appreciate your phone call. It's a good point because the, the one-man show was out there for everyone to see more times. Now, you know Jordan was going to get the majority of the scoring and more majority of the shots, but it was the defensive end that was very key for that Bulls championship run, which will I'm sure will be illustrated in the, docu- in, in the documentary. And then on top of that, just... Just knowing that Jordan can pass it out to a John Paxson, to a Steve Kerr, to to Scottie Pippen, Horace Grant, and they were able to make those baskets. Now you got a well-rounded team, and this docu series should be able to tell the story of man. It is you cannot win a championship by yourself. You have to be able to entrust teammates to be able to get it done as well. Jose, I'm glad you checked in. Good to hear from you. Appreciate your phone call. Now, you see, Jose leaves line open. 312-332-ESPN is our phone number. Larry is in Chatham with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Hey, Larry. Hey, Jay Hood. How you doing, brother? I'm good. Thanks for checking in. All right. Hey, I got I got two moments, if I could, man. Mm-hmm. Both, are, both are Bulls and Knicks moments. The first one, you know, tensions were getting high with the uh, Bulls and the Knicks. And uh, it's when the Bulls have won a couple of championships. And and remember, the tension just got so high that Derek Harper slammed JoJo English, and then yeah. the brawl began. Oh, my God, man. <laughs> Me and my buddies were watching that. We got so excited about that. Second one was when uh, Scottie Pippen, this was after Jordan left and those those years in between, Scottie Pippen slammed on Patrick Ewing and stepped over him and, and put his hand all in his face. Oh, man. And, look, <laughs> we were watching it in my buddy's basement. And he had one of those pop popcorn stucco stucco ceilings. Yeah, about six six feet high. He jumps up, man, and he slams his hand into the stucco ceiling. Oh man, it was uh, unforgettable <laughs> memory, man. Thanks, thanks for letting me call in, man. I love yeah, you, brother. Absolutely, Larry. Thank All you right. so much for the phone call. Uh, <laughs> nothing like you hurt your hand on that stucco ceiling because I know that thing hurts. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is our phone number. It's moments like that, right? Uh, when you start to feel like a team is getting some supremacy because the Bulls, they, I mean, I won't say they were a finesse team, but they, they kind of were in some ways. They did not have that same toughness as the Knicks or the Pistons. Those teams, you would deem them dirty now. Those guys would be kicked out of ball games left and right now. But at the time flagrant fouls or just common fouls it was tough basketball and there's some that pine for that now that they want to have football on the basketball court uh it wasn't necessary back then uh but it it was the pistons one of the reasons why that they were able to win a couple of championships is that they were very good playing basketball for sure but the fear that some teams had, like if you're going to the hole, you don't want to go to on the hole uh, with Lambeer or Buddha Edwards and John Sally and Dennis Rodman at the time. It, I mean, it's amazing. Uh, one one note about Rodman, which I just think it's funny about fans, right? So Dennis Rodman at the time, just uh, just uh, a stick in the beehive, 
tough to deal with because you know he was not a scoring threat. He was just a guy that was always around the rim, would undercut you. He was a very good defender when he wanted to be. And that guy was uh, was dirty. He was a worm. The reason why he was called the worm because he was, right? And he skipped around the league, a little San Antonio here, and a couple in a stop. And he ends up being with the Bulls. One of the most hated Detroit Pistons becomes a Bull, and he's beloved. It, it is it is the test of the LeBron theory, right? If LeBron James, after the first time he went to Cleveland, decided to come to Chicago, he would not be so hated here in the city like he is. He didn't choose Chicago. He chose Miami because he exercises free agency. I'm I'm a I'm a grown enough and adult enough to understand that if you exercise your free agency, you can play wherever you want to play. But I just find it interesting that during that time, Rodman, I mean, there were no boos for Rodman. He was playing with the good guys. So now the fans changed because uh, he was on our team, the Bulls team, right? If LeBron decided to be a Chicago Bull, for all the vitriol and all of the uh, anger toward LeBron James for making his decision, what if his decision was to go into the Bulls? Oh, he'd be, oh, I love LeBron. LeBron's so great. Get out of here. Get out of here. This is why I enjoyed the non-social media era so much. <laughs> because, because yeah, like, fans are going to be fans, right? We're all fickle. As long as they play for our team and help our team excel, doesn't matter where they came from. Ultimately, it does not matter. As long as your team's able to win, everybody on board, including Buddha Edwards and John Sally, all those old Pistons were on the Bulls. Why do you think that was? They're trying to get on Superman's cape, win a championship. All those guys that uh, that people booed on the Pistons became Bulls. Oh, Buddha's out there now with his 10 minutes and his two points and his hard fouls. Oh, that's great. It's amazing. 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is our phone number. Uh, we're talking to you uh, about something that I put up earlier. I want to get some phone calls here on this and asking the question to you about what your favorite game or moment from the Bulls-Jordan Championship era. That docuseries is going to be fun. I can't wait to talk to you about that uh, starting next week. That's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, a lot of submissions on Facebook and a lot on the phone lines as well. We'll get to that coming up next right here on Under the Hood. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. How you doing? Follow us on the gram at IGJ Hood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Michael Jordan in that uh, docuseries coming out on Sunday. We're talking about it right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Uh, we'll get back to the phone calls here. 312-332-ESPN. The Last Dance is sponsored by Coors Light, and uh, we're talking about it. Let us uh, go back to the phone lines in uh, Carol's stream. Here's Derek on ESPN 1000. Hey, D. <clears throat> Derek, are you there? Derek is gone. So I heard from Richard Deitch, who has been on the program. Richard Deitch um, was is a columnist for TheAthletic.com, is a sports media uh, analyst. And Richard was on Cap and Company talking about a documentary. I believe Richard has seen this documentary already. And so Richard says that uh, the documentary goes deep and gives under-35s a real appreciation of the Bulls. I think the best way or one of the best ways that I think I could describe it is if you're over 35 and you sort of saw, saw Jordan and watched some of those games, 
you you have an idea of those 97, 98 Bulls teams, but this documentary will take you so deep inside it that you're sort of going to get a new appreciation of what you thought you knew, but you really didn't know in terms of how hard it was and, and how they were able to do this. If you're under 35 and, you know, you're of the LeBron era or the Kobe era and you, you didn't see Jordan play and he's only basically sort of this mythological figure to you, you're going to understand sort of people who are older than you, why they see this guy in the same way that people today see Kobe and others. He just, it, it, he was, that, that one, that team was great, but more than that, Michael is just so driven to be great. And it was all consuming for him in all facets of his life. Um, and his desire to sort of beat you in anything really is apparent on the film to the point where, you know, there's behind the scenes stuff of him making fun of Jerry Krause, him getting on and pounding on Scotty Burrell, some of his other teammates. So again, you're going to watch that and you're not going to come away loving Jordan in every second, but you will come away from this documentary understanding who he was and when, why he was and how successful he was because of who he was. So Richard Deitch, who got a chance to see it, um, was on Captain Company. Interesting. Uh, I look forward to that because uh, the inside stuff that you saw in the locker room and some of the teasers that we've seen, very um, compelling. I saw on my Facebook wall, Facebook.com, and I'm going to go through a litany of, of uh, moments here for the Bulls. But, Tyler, for you, this is great, right? Because you'll be able to see this docuseries, be able to learn uh, what is going on with this Bulls team back in the day? Because it's interesting, during this pandemic, you've been able to catch up to uh, things that you didn't see <laughs> as a kid right. back in the yeah. day. You, you just saw Erlacher in his greatest yeah. game against Arizona, did you <laughs> yep. not? Yeah, I did. I saw that second half for the first time ever, actually, the other night. But for me, I mean, this and my generation in general, I mean, this is the Pandora's box of what we missed right here. And I think the interesting thing, too, is going to be people of my generation, people of your generation, and, and like my father's generation. It's going to be, there's going to be new stuff for all of us, too. So I think that's one of the things that I'm most interested in finding out is what's new for my dad, what's new for you, and then what's new for me. Because there's like three tiers of that right there, I feel like. You're watching all the games just trying to figure out how come these guys are not taking enough threes yeah, in 1996. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're trying to figure out. Like, Why, why are we is, doing layups? Like, what, What's going on here? It's like, why is Sam Perkins taking all those shots from the, the Sonics on the outside? He's taking why, a step inside the three-point arc. <laughs> That's the other thing. Why, why are these guys stepping That's inside? That's spot? Do they not know the value of the three back then? Uh, you know, the, well, they didn't trust the range. That's that's why they didn't. Do. Why is why is Sam Perkins? Why is his eyes at half mass? Why does he look like Garfield? All those questions will be asked. I'm sure in this docu series. I don't know why he looked like that, but there was a reason. I think back in the day. Um, so I'm going through this list here. John Buckley says beating the Pistons to get to the 91 championship. I, I will agree with that wholeheartedly because of how difficult it was to get past Detroit. And I'm sure this will be part of this, what we're going to see starting on Sunday. It was so difficult to get past that team to be able to win a championship. That story has got to be told um, because of how strong they were. Isaiah Thomas, a Chicagoan, right? Dude was supposed to go to DePaul. And he was going to DePaul at the last second and switched because Bobby Knight enticed him to go to Indiana. And so that whole story of a Chicago guy playing for the quote-unquote enemy for Detroit, that is uh, 
that's had to be difficult for Chicago to uh, swallow, but Detroit was good. They had their two championships. Um, they were part of the bad boys. Um, Shawnee Thompson says, at the end of the flu game, Scotty carrying Michael off the floor. I have a picture of that in my hood cave, um, the snapshot of that. That is just, it was amazing to watch. Uh, how and, and we see the supernatural a lot with um, with athletes. When you hear the story of uh, someone that's completely sick, a guy sh- that should be uh, down and out in bed, they're out there playing because they're trying to give their all. The Kirk Gibson game, the bloody sock of Schilling, all this stuff, right? We we we've heard and seen the heroics of a lot of these players over the years. Um, the shot part due says uh, Brian Vesley. Um, Tommy Pham says, anytime that the Bulls beat the Knicks, he said he hated John Stark so much, I was too young to realize how much I should have hated the Pistons. <laughs> so that's part of it. Um, Ryan Green says the Paxson uh, 3 in Game 6 of the 93 NBA Finals, hands down. That, that was his um, greatest moment in the Jordan era. Um, scrolling through here, Game 6 uh, and the shot. Um, game five against the Lakers. Well, that Laker team, that Laker team that the Bulls beat to win the championship, the first championship, that was an, an aging Laker team with Magic and Kareem and Worthy. I'm not taking anything away from the Bulls because that was a young team that was hungry. And the Lakers, the pilot light had blown out on the Lakers at in that particular era. They just, them and the Celtics, they just weren't the same teams anymore. They had gone through a 10-year run, and then here comes this young Bulls team with Jordan and being able to win in Inglewood, California at the Forum. That was huge. But Magic and Kareem, they just didn't have it. They didn't have it against that young, you know, strong, uh, productive team for the Bulls. It was their time, and the Bulls never really looked back after that. Um the shoulder shrug game against Portland. Um, I also like the bench comeback in that series too, says Jacob. Yeah, the, the bench mob, and I'm sure besides this Jordan and Pippen and Robin stories, there's plenty on the Steve Kerr's of the world. There's plenty of stories of Judd Bushler and Will Perdue uh, and a lot of these players here that really were able to make up this team. Ron Harper, a part of the starting lineup of that team. A lot of, ad- a lot of moving parts to this Bulls uh, success story. Looking through here, um, Craig says his favorite moment, he says he has two, Jordan hitting the big shot against the Knicks in the 96 playoffs uh, to finish them off smoothly, uh, and then waving goodbye to Spike Lee. Of course, the Knicks and the Bulls. And this is what's missing today, right, in 2020. If the Bulls and Knicks were irrelevant, now you've got a well-balanced NBA. But because you have two big markets like Chicago and New York out of it, I'm sure Adam Silver doesn't lose any sleep over what's happening in the league, but he, I'm sure he would like to see those two markets, Chicago and New York. You throw Detroit in there as well. Now you're back to where you were before. Now you got bounced. Now Philly's in it. You know, now you've got Florida teams like Miami and Orlando that's in it. Now you've got Texas. you got San Antonio. you got Dallas. You have your balance from the east to the west, and that is important for the interest of this league. It was off balance for a while. It still is a little bit with so many stars in the West. Uh, so keep them coming on Facebook and the phone lines, 312-332-ESPN is our phone number. All right, coming up next, will we get baseball back anytime soon? So it's not just coming from me. It's coming from doctors talking about this, those that are into the science of all this. We will talk about the return of baseball. Will it happen? We talk about it next right here on UTH. 
This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Major League Baseball coming back is that going to be the first sport that returns? I was reading Molly Knight from the Athletic.com in a piece entitled Major League Baseball Team Employees Will Be the Subjects of U.S.'s Largest COVID-19 Antibody Study. Okay, so Major League Baseball um, team employees are the subjects of the first and largest COVID-19 antibody study in the United States. 10,000 employees of 27 of the league's 30 clubs have volunteered to take part in what researchers from Stanford, USC, and the Sports Medicine Research and Testing Laboratory are calling the COVID-19 seroprevalence study. And Major League Baseball spokesman talked about this. The antibody test does not look for active COVID-19 infection, but rather the presence of a specific blood protein the human body produces in response to it. It is not the same as PCR tests used to determine if people are currently infected with the virus. Okay, so here, here's where I, I just continue to just scratch my head of this on this, right? I, I understand why. You will have Dabo Sweeney or you'll have uh, college coaches and probably some players as well. Dabo Sweeney on the record and, you know, and a few others, uh, but players also wanting to be able to come back on the field to play. A lot of it is based on money. All of it, everything that goes around in sports, it starts with money, right? And no matter if you have the type of income from the sport that you're playing it doesn't matter if you have generational wealth yeah if you are a millionaire you want to have more how does one become a millionaire is because they crave for even more than the millions they already have they want even more more so 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 i think a lot of that it comes from that and i also think that when we are looking at major league baseball even thinking and in, in agreeing to this you still are not taking into uh, into the conversation of, well, what about the employees? What about the people that work at the park? How does this all work? Do you mean to tell me you want everybody in Major League Baseball to be under a Petri dish? And then if someone does have COVID-19, you're starting from scratch again? I mean, I mean, this thing is so serious right now. It's just not fleeting. I don't care what people are doing in Detroit or Raleigh or some of these other places where they're protesting the stay at home uh, during this pandemic. This thing is serious. The numbers are not false. There, there are cities that even don't even know where, where to put the bodies. And so now Major League Baseball is even trying to have 10,000 employees of 27 of the league's 30 clubs volunteering to take part into this COVID-19 test. The, stu- the, the study includes not only players, their families, and team staff, but uh, people that are ushers, part-time employees, all this stuff, ages from ages and genders all across the landscape. But still... Still, it, it you are rushing through trying to take this study without the curve going down. This is what is, is tripped out to me. It is people trying to rush back to to the games. It's like, well, I'm not trying to get sick going to a game. I know that you're not trying to get that way either. 
You want to make sure that it's safe to be able to go to a game. And if you're a player, you want to make sure it's safe for you to be able to play. Fans in the, in the stands are not. What about your neighbor? What about the person that's next to you in the locker? What about someone that you don't even know that works with the team that got it from someplace else and all of a sudden the whole team's affected or uh, several players are infected? Now you're starting from scratch again. Some thoughts on this from several people. Let's go to Dr. Fauci, who has um, been a, a mainstay at the White House, speaking on a lot of these uh, issues when it comes to COVID-19. Uh, he was on Good Luck America Snapchat. Uh, could sports be played again without fans this year? There's a way of doing that. Nobody comes to the stadium. Put them in big hotels, you know, wherever you want to play. Keep them very well surveilled, namely a, a surveillance, but have them tested like every week and make sure they don't wind up infecting each other or their family and just let them play the season out. I mean, people say, well, you know, you, you, you can't play without spectators. Well, I think you probably get enough buy-in from people who are dying to see a baseball game particularly me i'm living in washington we have the world champion washington nationals you know i want to see them play again okay some thoughts now from jeff passan uh basically baseball uh, um, expert for espn talks about Dr. Fauci saying that the support is good for Major League Baseball. When Dr. Anthony Fauci comes out and essentially backs the Arizona plan, which would include players going from stadiums to hotels, from hotels to stadiums, it tends to lend some credence to that idea from a scientific perspective. When he says, let's test them once a week, we need more testing for that to happen. We need the players to be on board. We need this whole thing to come together. And it is much more complicated but having a scientist of his regard on board certainly doesn't hurt. Look, as someone who really enjoys baseball, especially White Sox baseball, Cubs baseball, to be able to talk to you about it in the games, it happens every day. The The bottom line for me is, is that I don't want to see anybody in any sport until we know that you and I can go to games, number one, and number two, to know that the players are going to be healthy. Just a, like, there's a lot of pushing up uh, up this hill, trying to get sports back and trying to figure out. Well, if we just test everybody, like the you know, the person that's behind the hot dog stand, and make sure that we test the janitors and test everybody, it's like, well, again, that still does not sound safe to me. And sure, you can try and have these research this research happening, but I am not trying to be part of the herd. Not trying to be a part of the herd of, of people that are sick because of COVID-19, because of sports and entertainment. For me, it has to be about our health first, you and I, that we are healthy enough to be able to go to these games, that the players that are on the field of play, they'll be able to be healthy enough. And and just if I'm a player, I don't want to be stuck in, as I mentioned, some Petri dish in some place where everybody's uh, together, everyone's sweating, everybody is is in a position where, hey, I, I know I feel good now, but I want to go back to my family, or if I'm sequestered away from my family, do I even carry the virus? All these questions, too many questions, too many questions. Somebody I'll run into, I don't know they have COVID, all of a sudden they have COVID, now are you infecting the team? Now are, the, are you the Utah Jazz, or is Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and others? It's, it's just, it's a lot to, to take in, it's a lot. I would just like to know when everyone will be healthy enough to be away from this. And be and then be able to go back to games whenever that is. I'm ready for it, but not before we are on the other side of this curve. We're going to talk some Bears and uh, NFL draft as we do every night at eight o'clock tonight. 
We talked to my longtime friend and co-host on ESPN Radio, Jeff Dickerson. We will talk Bears coming up next in two minutes right here on UTH. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.